So that's page 1173, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, towards the back. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Thanks very much, Izzy. Hi, everyone. Uh, please do keep that passage open in front of you. Uh, my name is Madish, if we haven't met. Um, and if you're celebrating a new year today, then a very, very happy new year to you. Uh, let's pray and ask God to grip us by his word and to change us. Oh God, our Father, it's amazing that you show us who you are through your words in Scripture. Help us to see and change us so that we would think your thoughts after you and that we would want the things that you want. May we experience your power at work in us now. Amen. I quite enjoy animated movies. Do you remember these guys? Uh, Woody and Buzz Lightyear from Toy Story? Uh, they end up uh, in, the, in the movies as the very best of friends. But when they first meet, uh, I'm sure you'll know, they're, they're both competing for the affections of one little boy, Andy. Uh, Woody, at first, is really jealous because he used to be Andy's favorite toy. Buzz, on the other hand, is a stranger in a strange land and he has a habit of seeing reality only from his perspective. It's a really great story about friendship. Uh, the conflict and adventures that follow teach them and us what it means to be a true friend. It shows us how deep friendship is often built around shared affections. For Woody and Buzz, it's their love for Andy and their purpose as his toys to make him happy that draws them together. And that's true also of our friendships. It's also God's desire for us that we would grow to know him and rely on him as a treasured friend. That's why he opens his heart to us. Do you remember God's plan from verse 10? God's plan to unite all things under Christ. Wonderfully, we who have heard all that God has done in Jesus and believed get to share in his riches. If by faith you've turned to Jesus, then you've been included 
in God's plan in Christ. And if by faith you've turned to Jesus, you are lavishly blessed in Christ. We saw that while God the Father is the giver, God the Son is the great gift. He is the great treasure. And that's why when we get to verse 15, where we read today, we see Paul, who's uh, sent as God's messenger to proclaim his message, praying for these Christians. And the reason he says is, uh, it's because God has set his love upon you. Because God has included you and blessed you, that's why I'm praying. I long that you would grow to know God better. And so that's our headline for today, that God wants you to know him better. Did you notice, uh, as we've read through chapter 1, all of the knowing words? Uh, take a look at verse 8, at the end of verse 8. With all wisdom and understanding, he, God, made known to us the mystery of his will. Here in, in verse 17, God's spirit is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's only as he shines light on God's words that we understand that we are given eyes to see Christ. By the Spirit's work, again in verse 17, we grow to know him better. And in verse 18, he wants the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened so that we know. What's all this knowing about? What is it that God wants you to know? Well, God wants you to know him, his glory, and your participation in the sum of all hopes. Nothing less than the Lord, who is the center of history, the center of the universe, Jesus Christ. He wants you to know friendship between you and God, the pleasure of access to God as Father, so that he hears your voice of reliance, need, and adoration, so that you hear his voice of comfort, assurance, and strength. He wants you to know his heart for the peoples of the world and our role in showcasing his beauty, a peace between people who have every reason to be estranged from one another. God opens the eyes of our hearts to know him, to know his ways and his will. And so just having let you in on the cosmic plan of God, God's messenger prays that you would know God better. That having entered into close personal relationship with him, you would grow in love and commitment. Now there are many things we can pray. Yet at the center of God's purposes is this desire for us to know him. There is nothing that we need more. This is the best and the richest prayer that you can pray for anyone. 
It's a prayer that Jesus himself prays for us in John 17. Jesus prays that through him, we would know the Father, the only true God. Isn't that amazing? So pray it. Pray it for yourself and pray it for others. Because apart from God's work by God's Spirit, you will not see the all-surpassing treasure that's in Jesus. And apart from Jesus, you cannot know the Father. Lord, open our eyes. Open my eyes. Show us. Teach us, Christ. Don't let us gloss this over. Don't let us be satisfied with knowing a little about you. Don't let us busy ourselves with small things, unimportant things over you. Show us Christ. Do you know someone who's struggling? Are you unsure about what to pray for them? Well, pray this. There is nothing better. Pray on your own. Pray with others. That's a core part of what we do in our shared lives with each other. Not just at our Sunday gathering, but in the ordinary moments as we live side by side. In our small groups around God's Word. Because that's how we grow to know God better. Long desire to know God in this way through Jesus Christ. If you spend much time around kids, you may have noticed that they don't tend to volunteer much information about their experiences unless you, unless you have a very, very special place in their lives. If you ask them what they did, the answer will invariably be nothing. Where did you go? Nowhere. And if you press them, they're fairly likely to come up with some really outlandish stories. Yesterday, my kids apparently took the train to Paris and enjoyed a wonderful light show at the Eiffel Tower. I'm sad that I didn't get invited. But I've noticed that when I immerse myself in their world, their experiences and reflections start to come out. With my son, that's often building Lego models. Because he'll build whatever he's particularly interested in at that moment. And he'll tell stories as he's building about all of the stuff that he's discovering about the world. And he'll ask questions of all sorts. You see, when I share in what his, he loves, I don't just discover this curious pastime. He shows me his heart. I discover him. God here reveals his cosmic plan to us so that we would find him. He shares his heart so that we'd grow to know him better. And that's the reason in these next couple of verses, Paul prays on that we would know three things. Our hope, God's inheritance, and God's power. So first, in verse 18, I pray 
that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Do you remember verse 12, where Paul refers to those who were the first to put their hope in Christ? It's the same hope. And verse 14, where the Holy Spirit who lives in us, uniting us to Christ, guarantees an inheritance. See, our hope is the sum of everything that we have in Christ. It refers to the reality of being included in God's plan and the delight of all the blessings we enjoy because of that union with Christ. Because we become daughters and sons in God's family, we are also heirs. We have the full rights of inheritance. That inheritance is our riches, our wealth, what we have. It's stuff that is secure, kept for us. We can count on it. And it's worth pointing out the obvious here. Becoming a child, an inheritor, was not something I did by my own strength or ability. The same way that being born to my earthly parents had nothing to do with my desire or will. Christ lavished his riches upon me. How amazing is that? That's what we saw all through those first few verses. And so when Paul is praying here that we would know our hope, he's praying that we would fully grasp and live in light of our place in God's magnificent plan. And that we would live in light of the riches that we presently have and that are kept for us safe and sound in the future. What does that mean for us? Well, consider this. Can you think of one piece of really bad news that would drastically change your life? Maybe something you fear. A dear friend's betrayal. A cancer diagnosis. A major setback in your career. Would that crush you? Here's your hope that God in Jesus Christ has supplied everything that you need for that situation and more. He's saying to you, this is your inheritance. Everything you need for life is right here. So go on, live. See, when we're faced with suffering, loss, or uncertainty, you need to know that you have, right now and in the future, a hope that far exceeds your pain, a hope that nothing can take away. If you think that you don't have the resources you need to live a full, hopeful, joyful, purposeful life, it's because you don't know this hope to which you've been called. Read those first few verses of Ephesians again. Remind yourself of what that hope is. God doesn't just lavishly bless us. He's showing us his heart. He's giving us himself. 
Well, the second thing, still in verse 18, Paul prays that we would know the riches of his, that's God's, glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, drink in this reality. God's people, his children, those who've been made holy in Christ, are his inheritance. Not just an inheritance, a glorious inheritance. Now, I would never have imagined that. That I, that you, could first be described as glorious in God's sight, and second, that we are the riches that he inherits. That's phenomenal. Have you thought about that? Has that thought ever crossed your mind? It's one thing to say that Christ is our treasure, but to think that from his perspective, we are the great treasure that he gets. Wow, like I need a mind-blown emoji over here because that's what's going on. I think we all love fairy tales, um, even the very manly guys over here, because they captivate us. They, they tap into our deepest fears and desires. Uh, they tell wonderful stories about the things we long for. And so, uh, almost invariably, our hearts race as the heroic prince crosses seas and braves mountains and battles dragons for his beloved. In this story, that's us. We are the beloved. You cannot be more loved than you are in Christ. You are his great treasure. The Prince of Heaven crosses from heaven to earth. He battles sin and death and the devil. And he gives up his life for you. Everything that we experience now is incomplete. Everything is tainted by sin. Our joys leave us aching for more. Our tears are bitter. Creation groans, and we groan with it. But when it's time, when God's work is complete, all things in heaven and on earth will be united under Christ. Our deepest hopes will come to fruition. We will inherit God, and God will inherit us. We will possess each other and share together in His glory. When it's time, all will be well. We will be holy and blameless before Him, a spotless church in all her glory, the beloved of the Lord. Verses 22 and 23, take a look at them. They picture Christ as the head and his church as the body, vitally connected. But it goes on to describe the church as the fullness of Christ, who fills everything in every way. As the head over all things, Christ rules by filling the universe. And yet only the church is his body, and he fills it in a special way, with a spirit 
in his grace, by his gifts. We are the fullness of Christ. Think about that. I pointed out last week uh, that one look out the window, and it's pretty easy to tell that not all things have been united under Christ yet. But that is already true of the church. The church is the showcase of Christ's perfections. Now, I should have said that God's purposes have already begun in the church, but they aren't complete. You see, in Christ, I am holy and blameless in God's sight. I no longer stand under the penalty of sin. God empowers me to live as I ought to. But sin is still a part of my experience, inside and out. In Christ, people of every kind are at peace. They enjoy fellowship with each other. But we still sin against each other. It's not unusual to find disagreements and strife among us. The amazing reality is that God is nevertheless at work. He has begun what he has purposed, and he will bring it to completion. The church has a prized place in God's purposes. However messy it may seem in your experience, we are his beloved. We are the great treasure that he will inherit. Now that is a wonderful reality. So delight in it. Enjoy it. And delight in God's purpose for you to the praise of his glorious grace. And you'll find that knowing he treasures you in this way is going to grow your desire for him. You'll want to know him more. You'll want to love him more because you get how much he loves and treasures you. And it will mean that as the waves of life toss you back and forth, you will have no doubt that you're loved, that every detail of your life matters to God. You'll feel safe. You'll feel confident. You will love others and give of yourself from a place of great security. That's what Christ is accomplishing for us. And so Paul's prayed that we would know our hope and we would know God's inheritance. Third, and lastly, Paul prays that we would know God's incomparably great power for us who believe. It's one thing to know that you are treasured, that God is for you. But it's quite another to have the confidence that he's powerful enough to bring about what he wills. Well, hear this. God's power is incomparable. There is nothing that can compare with it. A little bit of background, I think, is helpful here. The churches that first received this letter would have been aware of spiritual powers. Some of them were converted out of pagan cults and settings where magic was practiced. There was an extraordinary fear 
of these powers. We are in a culture that typically denies the existence of such powers. But God consistently testifies that such powers are real, that they are evil, and that they enslave people in fear. In Ephesians, we're going to keep reading of the powers and authorities, the powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil. Though they are unseen, we must take them seriously. I think closer to home, we are aware of human power that is misused. And misused so that it similarly entraps people in fear. Here's the truth. God's power far exceeds any of those powers. It may not look like it. It may not seem like it when you're confronting it face to face. And yet God is saying here that there is no contest. Head to head, he wins. And God uses his power for good. At the end of verse 22, he uses his power for us. Though we live in a world where there are powers which seek to harm and destroy, for us who are in Christ, there's nothing to fear. But it's even better than that. The power that God wields is the same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. That's the power that put us in Christ to make us alive. That is the power that is at work in us right now. It's like zipping up a hill in one of those e-bikes. Have you tried that? You're pedaling, but that battery is what's powering you on. God's power awakens faith. It makes real to us things that are unseen. God's power lives in us and gives us intimacy with Christ through his Holy Spirit. He's at work in us individually and together as his church. And the fruits of that intimate power become evident in us as we turn into people who walk in truth and love. Let me share a very ordinary example from my life. I prize my alone time. It helps me relax and recharge. I consider myself to have had a successful Saturday if I've managed an afternoon nap and I've had some time to quietly do something on my own. Now, I was doing that a couple of weeks ago when I heard the persistent and annoying shouting of my kids fighting. They'd been at each other all morning. It was just a matter of time. It had been building up. But with my heart turned in on myself, all I could think of at that moment was, ah, why can they leave me in peace? They were in the way of me getting what I wanted. And I just wanted them out of the way. My anger rose, 
And I just wanted to storm downstairs, tear down the den that they were playing in, and send them off to opposite corners of the house. And then go off back to my bed. Of course, that, by that point, I'd have been so annoyed that I wouldn't have been able to get any rest. Now, in that moment, something held me back. Somehow, I calmed down, and I prayed, and then, amazingly, I spoke calmly with each of them. I helped them to catch their breath away from the intensity of the conflict. Uh, I encouraged them to uh, think about what they wanted in the situation uh, and to try and show them that they were putting what they wanted above their brother or sister. And then we prayed together that God would change us, me and them. That was God's power at work. He turned my heart to him and then he turned it outward. That moment of conflict and anger turned into a moment of God's renewing grace for our family. That's God's power. That's the same power that raised Jesus to life. And it's made us alive in him. And it is at work in us from moment to moment. That's remarkable. That makes me go, wow. We can be confident that there is no power in heaven or earth that can challenge our God, that can somehow derail his plan for all things, or just for me. No, God will surely bring his plan to fruition. And we can have the same confidence in the ordinary moments of our lives. When we're overwhelmed, when things are just out of control, or, or when we have failed in some spectacular way, Again, know God's power for you. What drives our desire to know God better? What makes us respond to his gracious work in us so that we become closer friends? Well, it's learning what he's revealed about himself. That's what he's doing here in Ephesians 1. As we become wowed by all that we have in him and all that he has in us, he is changing us on the inside so that we become new people. Remind yourself of that this week. On Thursday morning, uh, when the week feels like it is getting away from you, pick up Ephesians 1 and read it. Make a point of reminding somebody else about these truths this week. And pray it. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for each other. Let's do that right now. Confident in God's power to accomplish his plan. Our gracious and generous Father, we really do praise you and give you thanks 
that you have looked upon people like us who, by nature, have nothing to offer you, nothing that is uh, good in ourselves. And you have shown us kindness. You have moved us from death to life in Christ Jesus. You have included us, and not just included us, put us right at the center of the magnificent work you are doing across the universe and across history. You have lavishly blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Help us to know that, to know the hope that is before us, to know how treasured we are in your sight, to know your power to empower us to live as your people to live as those who have been united under Christ. Amen.